Scott Aniel, and welcome to By the Waters of Babylon, a podcast dedicated to discussion of Christianity in a post-Christian culture. There's a lot of discussion today about diversity and identity, both in the wider culture and among Christians. But unfortunately, such discussions are often not informed by Scripture, even among Christians. Secularist theories and ideologies often plague discourse about these subjects in ways that sometimes many Christians don't even recognize. But of course, any discussion of diversity and identity must be informed by Scripture. And I think there's perhaps no more better passage on these particular subjects than the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. This passage is set in the context of a three-chapter discussion of spiritual gifts that began at the beginning of chapter 12, where Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And then in the first 11 verses of this chapter, Paul emphasizes the variety and individuality of each Christian. But before we move on to the the main part of chapter 12 that I want to focus on today, I want to just clarify the exact nature of the diversity that Paul says should be celebrated and is absolutely necessary in the body of Christ. Because we have different kinds of diversity in the church. We have diversity of gender. We have diversity of ethnicity. We have diversity of vocation and social status and education, and all of these are good. But those are not the types of diversity that Paul is specifically celebrating in the first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians 12. So what kind of diversity is Paul celebrating? Well, if you look at verse 4, Paul references varieties of gifts. And in verse 5, varieties of service. And in verse 6, varieties of activities. And so what kind of diversity is Paul celebrating here? He's celebrating what we might call diversity of function within the church based on diversity of Holy Spirit giftedness. And notice in verse 6, Paul says, God empowers them all in everyone. Of course, in the context here, he's speaking of every Christian. But the point is that each Christian has been given by the Spirit of God a variety of diverse and individual ministry functions within the church. And that is what Paul is celebrating in 1 Corinthians 12. He's celebrating the functional diversity of the church. But then with all of that as his foundation in the first 11 verses, he moves on in verse 12 to what I believe is his primary concern. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. In the first 11 verses, Paul used that little word one to signify individuality, to signify diversity of giftedness, of functionality within the body of Christ. But now in verse 12, he's changing the use of that word one. Instead of indicating diversity, he's now signifying unity. In other words, Paul wants us to celebrate the functional diversity within the church, but just as important And in fact, considering the amount of attention that he now gives to this in chapter 12, perhaps even more important, Paul emphasizes the critical recognition of the unity of the church in the midst of functional diversity. 
And Paul begins to build here a picturesque analogy through the rest of the chapter in order to illustrate the fundamental reality that unifies the functional diversity within the church. And what is that analogy? Well, for the rest of the chapter, Paul uses the analogy of the human body with its members. Each member of the human body has an individual function, and those functions are different from other members of the body. There's a diversity there. The foot can stand, the hand can hold, the eye can see, the ear can hear, and so forth. Each member of the body has specific individual functions, different, distinct from other members of the body, but each member is still part of the one unified body. And so it is with the body of Christ. Each member has been gifted by the Holy Spirit of God with certain functions that are different from other members. But, and this is the point that Paul really wants us to get, we are all members of one body. Despite the functional diversity, there is a spiritual unity. Now, is this natural? No, it's it's not natural for there to be unity right alongside diversity. I mean, it would be difficult enough for there to be unity with just functional diversity. Usually, we much more naturally unify with those who have the same sorts of abilities and interests that we do, don't we? Musicians like to hang out with musicians. People interested in history get along with other people who like history. Accountants get along with accountants. Lawyers get along with lawyers. Our abilities and interests and functions draw us to those who are similar to us. But as I mentioned a moment ago, there are other kinds of diversity within the church as well. Diversity of gender, ethnicity, age, social class, education, so many other things we could discuss. But God has gifted and wired each one of us in different ways by his providence, and it is usually that natural giftedness that causes us to be interested in certain things and leads us to pursue a particular life vocation. In other words, by the providence of God, you are what you are. God made you a certain way and gave you a certain background and orchestrated the circumstances of your life to bring you where you are today. But with that being the case, what kind of people is it natural for us to unify with? Well, people like us. I mean, I am a 39-year-old, white, introverted, middle-class, male seminary professor and pastor with a PhD who grew up in Michigan and likes classical music and reading. That, that's who I am. And so who is it natural for me to find unity with? Well, other 39-year-old, white, introverted, middle-class, male seminary professors and pastors with PhDs who grew up in Michigan and like classical music and reading. And literally, some of my closest friends could be described exactly that way, with a few years difference here and there. But that's not the kind of unity that Paul has in mind in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul is not talking about unity with people who are all alike. Unity with people who have the same natural identity. He is not talking about unity, to use his analogy, unity of a bunch of eyes and unity of a bunch of hands, and unity of a bunch of noses. Paul is talking about unity among people who are diverse from one another. He's talking about unity between a person like me and a man in my church who's a Texas born and bred gun-toting plumber who's never been north of the Mason-Dixon. That kind of unity is not natural. Now, in a moment, I want to look at how Paul explains where that unity comes from. 
But first, I want to recommend to you a hymn that you may or may not know, but it's a wonderful hymn that focuses our attention upon the last few days of our Savior's life and what he endured on the cross for us, and then expresses what our response should be toward the sacrifice of Christ. It's a hymn called, My Song is Love Unknown, penned in 1664 by Samuel Crossman. This is a wonderful narrative hymn that traces the last week of the life of our Savior. Very fitting for any time of the year, but particularly for a focus on the suffering and death of our Savior. The first stanza of this hymn reads, My song is love unknown, my Savior's love to me, love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. Oh, who am I that for my sake my Lord should take frail flesh and die? The hymn works through the triumphal entry of our Savior, but then also the trial and crucifixion and his suffering and death on our behalf. And then the final stanza expresses what our response should be. Here might I stay and sing, no story so divine. Never was love, dear king, never was grief like thine. This is my friend, in whose sweet praise I all my days could gladly spend. I've actually sung this hymn to several wonderful tunes, but probably my favorite is a tune composed in 1918 by John Ireland, and he titled the tune, Love Unknown. I'd encourage you to visit classichymns.org and scroll down to My Song is Love Unknown, where you can download a PDF of this hymn for free. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is emphasizing both the diversity but also the supernatural unity of the body of Christ, where God's people are joined together and unified when perhaps they don't have natural tendencies to do so. So how does this happen? How are people of diverse giftedness and ability and background and status unified together in one body? Well, verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 12, really the central verse of the chapter, tells us. Paul says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. You see, the way people of vast diversity are unified into one spiritual body is by means of spirit baptism. Now, we need to consider for a moment very carefully what spirit baptism is because there's a lot of confusing and perhaps incorrect teaching today on the subject of spirit baptism. And if we misunderstand what spirit baptism is biblically, then we will misunderstand the nature of the body's unity here in 1 Corinthians 12. Notice a couple things right with what Paul says here. First, who are the subjects of spirit baptism? Well, Paul says, we all were baptized. Well, who are the we all? All Christians. If you are a Christian, then Paul says you have been spirit baptized. Spirit baptism is not limited only to apostles or super Christians or to any subgroup within the body of Christ. We all were baptized in one spirit, Paul says. But second, when does spirit baptism occur? Well, what is the tense of the verb here? We all were baptized. It's past tense. 
So spirit baptism occurred sometime in the past for all Christians. And the fact that Paul can say that we all were baptized must indicate that spirit baptism occurred at the moment of our salvation. If spirit baptism took place sometime after salvation, then Paul would not be able to say we all were baptized. Well, what happened to each of us who has trusted Christ at the moment we were saved? Well, at that moment, Jesus Christ immersed us with one spirit into one body. Through spirit baptism, Paul is teaching here, we Christians, we who have trusted in Jesus Christ for our salvation, are made one with that body. And this is exactly why unity within the body of Christ in spite of the vast diversity of each of us as members of that body, is even a possibility. This is a supernatural occurrence. It is not natural or normal in the regular course of life for people of such diversity to be unified. But because with one spirit we were all baptized into one body, we are one. And Paul makes the supernatural nature of this explicit right there in the verse by reminding us of the diversity that exists, not just the functional diversity of spirit giftedness within the body that he had focused on in the first 11 verses of the chapter, which is really the main point of the passage, but he emphasizes the supernatural nature of the unity of the body by reminding us of diversity that really should, to a greater degree, prevent our unity. He says here, For with one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks. I mean, those are the two extreme representative poles of ethnic diversity. Slaves or free. Those are the two extreme poles of social diversity. You can't get any more diverse socially than the difference between someone who is a slave and someone who is free. But Paul is saying that as a Christian, these do not define you. In the providence of God, this is who you are. But this is not where you find your ultimate identity. It does not matter what your ethnicity is, whether you are a Jew or Greek, black or white, Asian or Germanic. If you are a Christian, then your identity is one who has been immersed with one spirit into one body. It does not matter what your vocation or social status is, whether you are a slave or free, a business owner or a plumber, an accountant or a professor, wealthy or poor. If you are a Christian, then your identity is one who has been made to drink of one spirit, Paul says here. And if these diverse characteristics do not define individuals within the body or divide the body, as they naturally would tend to do, then certainly functional diversity as a result of spirit giftedness should not divide the body either. That's Paul's main point here. It does not matter what your interests are, what your gifts are, what your personality is, whether you are introverted or extroverted, whether you enjoy public speaking or would rather serve quietly in the background, whether you have musical talents or your gifts are geared toward quiet encouragement. Despite all of that diversity, we are one in Christ. This is not natural. This is supernatural. So what then should our response be? How should this affect our lives? Well, this is exactly what Paul explains in the rest of the chapter. And I won't go into it in detail, but I'll just summarize what Paul's main point and encourage you to spend a little time in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
Here, here's Paul's main concern. Diversity within the body, any kind of diversity, whether it be functional diversity like he's focused on here, or ethnic diversity, or diversity of vocation, or gender, or age, or anything else, diversity within the body should never lead to division within the church. It should not lead to division because the diversity is not a deficiency of the body. It is exactly how God designed the body so that it could function to its fullest potential. And not just that it can function in its external outward ministries, but but so that the various diversely functioning parts of the body can best care for each other. You see, we need each other, not in spite of our functional diversity, but because of our diversity. One ear can't put a band-aid on another ear. You need a hand to do that. One little toe can't help another little toe from getting stubbed on the corner of the bed. You need an eye to do that. And likewise, we need each other specifically because we are diverse. We need each other's diverse gifts. That's the only way that we will grow. This is why several of the New Testament epistles address old men and young men, old women and young women, parents and children, masters and slaves, pastors, deacons, and every other kind of church member. All of these were present in one church gathering, listening to the letter as it was read. All of these were together, ministering to one another and caring for one another. We need a multi-generational, multi-gifted church, and we each need to be actively part of ministry ministering one to another. This is why you need to be a part of gatherings of the church whenever possible. It is so common in churches today to have people who slip into a Sunday morning service late and race to their cars as soon as the benediction is given. But you cannot flourish like that. You need regular faithful interaction with other members of the body who have different gifts and functions than you do for your own spiritual growth. You need to join together with other diverse members of the body for Bible study. You need to prioritize weekly prayer meetings where where the body of Christ cares for one another. You need to make it a point to be at the various meetings of your church where women of all diverse giftedness can minister to one another and men of diverse gifts can minister to each other. You cannot grow spiritually by yourself. And even if you could, even if you think I'm doing just fine spiritually on my own, the body needs you and your particular unique giftedness. Don't hoard your gifts. Each one of us needs each other. This is also why I want my children to be part of the gatherings of our church. My children need the other members of the body. My wife and I are the ones primarily given the responsibility from God to rear our children, and we certainly have the greatest impact on them and their spiritual development. But I truly believe that if we tried to nurture our children alone without the rest of the body of Christ, we would fail. Our children need to see the other members of the body singing in the service. They need to hear others pray. They need to benefit from the exercise of others' particular gifts. It's a great mistake to segregate the children off into meetings outside of the church's gathering where they never benefit from the diverse gifts of the whole body. And by the way, the body needs the children of the church as well. Paul's point in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that if one member of the church suffers, we all suffer together, and we are stronger because of it. If one member is honored, we all rejoice, and we are better because of it. This is how God designed his church, the body of Christ. 
And so the question before us is whether we will commit to using the diverse gifts that God has given each one of us to build up and edify one another in the body of Christ. Will you dedicate what God has given you to serve and care for the other members of the body as God has intended? Thank you for listening to By the Waters of Babylon. Please subscribe on iTunes or other podcasting services. And if you have benefited from what you've heard today, please give us a rating. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash scottannual. I blog at religiousaffections.org. And for articles, audio, and speaking itinerary, visit scottannual.com. Join me next time as we discuss issues related to Christianity in a post-Christian culture.